Hello everybody and welcome to The Tea with Crema. My name is Chris and I will be one of your hosts. I'm joined today by my best friend, Emma. Hello everyone. Today, we're going to be taking some time to sit back, relax, and reflect on one heck of a year, a roller coaster of a year, an experience, a journey. Whew, it was a year. In case you might have missed it in an earlier episode, Emma and I are both teachers. So, we're just taking some time to just get our experiences off our chest so that we can just move on forward and uh, do the things we gotta do. Mm -hmm. Here for it. We got a lot to talk about. A lot. lot. Before we get started, though, let's do a drink check. Emma, what you drinking today? I am drinking a juice box because I am currently in the process of moving and I currently have hot water but I don't have any tea or teacups, so I'm just resorting to what I had for breakfast, which is even sadder because it's warm, but you know what? It is what it is. We are trying our best, so I'm drinking warm apple juice. Yerm. <laughs> what are you <laughs> drinking today, Chris? I am <laughs> drinking a lemon blossom oolong tea that we picked up when we went to Colorado for your birthday. Wow. Sounds so much more delightful than my warm apple juice. Yeah, it has been so far. It's a really light tea, and it's really fragrant. I really enjoyed it. So yeah, definitely not the same as your lukewarm juice box. But uh, mm. yeah, I would definitely recommend the Lemon Blossom Oolong Tea from Kucha Tea in Colorado. I think it was Boulder when we went to that tea shop. Yes, we were in Boulder during that time. And Chris walked out with like 30 different teas. That's okay, because we're the tea, because we're the tea with crema, so you gotta drink (laughs) tea, and not juice, or coke, or water, like I normally do. It'd be like that. Well, let's go ahead and get started. Our first topic for today, starting out on a high note, what were some peaks that you experienced while teaching in a pandemic? Mind you, this pandemic did start three quarters of the way through last school year. So back in March, we went for spring break and we did not come back to school. We were out the whole rest of the year. And where we teach, we did not come back to in-person learning until about October, late September, early October. And even then, it was not required for all people. So there was a lot going on. So Emma, tell me, what was a peak that you experienced? And we'll start it off from like, Back in March, when all of the things really started, a peak between March and June of this year. I mean, that was really rough. And I think it was mostly rough just because we didn't know what we were doing. But since we're talking about peaks, a peak for me from that latter half of the school year was honestly the rest. The rest that I got led to the productivity that I was doing during that time. I was so burnt out going into the latter half of that school year. I had just got back from France because I was on spring break and my mom and I almost got stranded. So that was fun. And so that was like a highlight. And then it was a low light because we had to be rushed back. So we had to cut our trip back really short. But I was so burnt out before that, that I had just like really needed spring break. And then going into like pandemic teaching my body just finally got the rest it needed. 
Now, that's not to say that I was working less because I feel like I was actually working more. But the fact that I got to teach from home as well as spend more time with my family and do all the things that I wanted to do in terms of like, this was a time when I could try all those digital tools that I hadn't been able to try before. I think that was a peak was being able to like really challenge myself and push myself to try all the things that I didn't get a chance to during the beginning of the year, just because of lack of time, lack of timing in the curriculum, where I just, because we're a tested subject and I hate talking about that, like there's certain things that I just have to teach. And, you know, that doesn't always lead itself to be the most conducive to learn new tech tools while also making sure that I'm teaching the things that are going to be essential for the test. Yeah, I think that was a pretty good highlight of that first part of pandemic teaching. What about you? I think my overall highlight is that I felt really confident about using digital tools beforehand as a teacher. And it was something that I was certainly advocating for in education before that moment. And so feeling pretty well versed in using those tools certainly made the switch pretty easy for me. But then as unfortunate as like the grand circumstances were having individuals then see like, oh, wait, we, yeah, it's a virtual world. We have to adapt. We have to get better at this and seeing the real reason why the deficiencies that kind of came up, the difficulties of transitioning and providing all of these resources and trainings and things that teachers and students and families and administrators, so many people just needed so many things. And so to kind of see all that and and feel like not necessarily ahead of the curve, but I feel like I was going with the curve in terms of technological implementation in teaching. So that part, I was like, oh man, I'm rocking it. We get to do all the things that I already enjoy doing and I just get to be better at it and help other people be better at it. So I think that was something that overall I did enjoy the utilization of technological tools and innovations to teach. That was nice. But on the flip side, <laughs> you know, every peak has its valley. Oof, that valley, that valley was deep. <laughs> it was, it was. And in an effort to not, you know, like harp on a year of, whew, we're just going to pick one. You just got to pick the one valley. It doesn't have to be your deepest valley. Just pick one valley that you want to be, just get off your chest and be like, whew, glad that part is done. I think that one of the valleys, and I when I think about it in the grand scheme of things from last March to now, I think maybe I have, you know, rose-colored glasses on and I'm like wow that was such a great year but while it was happening I was definitely struggling because now as I think about it I'm like there weren't really that many valleys like I want to say that my highs outweighed the lows one of the things that was really eye-opening I think was that just like you said we got to see those gaps and deficiencies in education the inequity like you and I have always known that it existed that's we teach in schools that are Title I schools, meaning, you know, 80%, at least 80% of our students are on free or reduced lunch. And while we knew that, it was interesting to see the rest of the world starting to see that too, because it would forced parents and students to have to be online. And we were recognizing that it's an accessibility issue. So like my campus was a one-to-one campus, meaning that I had one computer to one student didn't necessarily mean that all my students were literate. 
like technologically literate. Getting them to get on Zoom classes and getting parents to understand, you know, how this was going to work on top of the fact that my students are all English language learners, I was burnt out. I think that's the best word for it is that I was burnt out by the end of last school year because we were constantly doing food drives and like delivering packages to families and doing all these things where it's just like, how are basic needs not being met in the richest country in the world? And I think that was the biggest thing for me that was such a low because at the same time, a pandemic was raging. So there were teachers and myself, I could not participate as much as I would have liked to because I have my mom at home and she's older. So I was not going to put her health at risk, you know, to do these things. But we had so many teachers at my school and shout out to them for like, they were sending out packets. They were sending out, they were going to people's houses, setting up internet, like setting up hotspots and things like that. But it was just, I think that was definitely a low, was just seeing the world finally wake up and be like, oh, that's pretty bad that that's an issue that we have out here. But for myself personally, I was definitely burnt out. And I think that carried over into the following school year, trying to keep up the momentum that I had going from the previous three or four months. What about you? What was a valley? I think the valley that I'm going to choose to highlight is similar to the one that you mentioned about accessibility and resources, but I think more from a a teacher perspective. You know, they always say don't read the the comments on the internet. Mm. And I think seeing the way a lot of people were talking about teachers, especially at, at the start of this school year and the comments that people were making and, you know, everyone's entitled to their opinions, but it doesn't always mean that they don't impact other people's everything, feelings, emotion, all of that. And so one of the things that I really struggled with was even though people weren't necessarily saying those things directly to me, or even necessarily about me, like I might not have been the face that they had in mind when they were typing those comments out. They were not nice comments at all. And it was difficult to read through those things. So I think that advice of not reading the comments is still solidly true. But I also think sometimes it's just really hard to avoid when you are trying to be informed about things. You Part of it is getting the other side of any argument, debate, discussion. And you don't always have to agree, but man, sometimes people just say things that are not nice. I think one of the biggest things that was also eye-opening to me was teachers and educators and you know people were just so lauded and applauded during those four months. You know, it was very quick to be like, wow, teachers do so much work. Like now I'm at home with my kid all day and wow, just like the things they have to deal with. And I only have one and they have to deal with 30, you know, and then how quickly the narrative changed once we started back at school again. And because, you know, I have family back in California and they actually did not return back to school until very, very late in the year. So we were starting back. And California kept pushing it off, kept pushing it off, kept pushing it off. And to myself, I was thinking, wow, how lucky to be in a state that cares about the health of students and teachers and, you know, wants to minimize the spread and all these things. 
And then seeing people who I know personally who are parents complaining, not even complaining, but being like, wow, teachers are so lazy. They don't want to go back to work. And it was like people that I know. And I was like, is that what you think of us? Like, and not even, I know it wasn't to me because I was already back in school in person and all this stuff. But seeing just how quickly they were going back on, oh, we support teachers, we support da 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 and all of this stuff. I think that was, that was sad. That was sad for me to see. But enough of our lowlights, because we could do an entire episode on the lowlights of education and the inequity and everything that we see in education. Also, if anyone's wondering, there are, I'm sure there are plenty of other podcasts and podcast episodes by other people, probably more informed than Emma and I, on all of the topics that we've discussed. Pandemics, education, inequity, accessibility. We're just not going to take that much time today to really focus on it. But we are going to give a final review. So Emma and I in our conversations, not so much on the the podcast, but we are frequently rating random things in our lives out of, you know, five stars. Like we just live in, in a Yelp world, like everything can be Yelped. So if you had to, you know, give this school year a Yelp, we'll be fair with this one. Your school year, you know, which was still very much pandemic teaching from August to June. Pandemic teaching. If you had to give it a review, Zero out of five stars, one out of five, all the way to five, five being the best. You loved it. It was wonderful. Zero being an impossible rating to actually give on Yelp. You have to give at least one star, but you know, we are not Yelp. So (laughs) what would your rating be about pandemic teaching? Oh, you know, I was actually going to say because it's a teaching episode. What if we gave it a grade? Mm, mm. Look at that. Are you talking, are we doing it in minuses or, or and pluses? Yes, minuses and pluses, because, you know, that affects your weighted GPA, so. <laughs> you know, those pluses really help, and those minuses suck. They, they really be dropping you by .02, those minuses. It don't oh. make no sense. I will say I would give this school year a solid C. Now, I was going to give it a C-. minus. There's some things that was a C. If I were to give it a Yelp review, it'd definitely be a two, a which is not a, which is not even a C, because that would be 40%. It's a mm-hmm. D. But since we're not on Yelp and we're giving it a school year grade, I would give it a C. Solid C. What would you give it? I would have to give pandemic teaching a C plus. D as in dog? No, a C as in cat plus. Oh. C, C plus. plus. Ooh. Because the the highlights were pretty high. They were. We didn't talk much about any of it because I just want to be done with it and over it, which I think is also why I can't go higher than a C. I just, I'm ready for it to be done. Give me my grade and let's move on. If I had to give it a a Yelp review, I'd probably say two and a half stars. Two and a half stars. Okay, Okay. solid. Those are solid teaching experiences. We are still, as you can see... I don't even know if the word is traumatized, but I was, I've been seeing these things, reading these articles talking about how teachers are going to need therapy. You know, already we kind of already did need therapy, but even more so after the school year, just being on all the time and under these high stress situations. I am interested to see what happens to the profession moving forward because I can already see it with our district with teachers leaving in hordes. <laughs> Yeah, I'm curious to see like what the final numbers will be for, you know, the local levels, the the state and then the national levels just to see what 
what those numbers will look like. And then also because, again, some states opened up a little earlier than others just to see if that expectation changed how overall teachers felt in that region as well. So I'm really curious to be able to compare like Texas teaching retention levels to like California, a state that kept teachers out of the classroom much longer than like Texas, which was one of the first states to have teachers back in the classroom. So I'm really curious just to see. I love data like that. So if anyone knows where to find it really easily and wants to hook us up, please do. That was it. Peak Valley rating. But wait, there's more. Well, this year was a very special year in a lot of ways besides those ways. But around February, Emma and I got some really good news. Both of us. It was kind of, I don't know, it was one of those like, if Weird. it was going to happen, this was the way it was going to happen. It was like, going to happen. Was, there was no other way for this to happen. Do you want to explain what happened? Do you want me to explain what happened? I mean, some I'll people explain. might know. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people already do know because I do post about it on the Instagram. But in February, Chris and I both found out that we were our campus teacher of the year. <sighs> cue the, Woo-hoo! cue the, Everything. Just all Everything. the things. Everything. All, all the noises. The fireworks, which was pretty huge. And I will say that, again, like, Chris and I knew that as soon as we were going to be eligible, we would be in the running. I think that was always kind of in the back of our heads, um, kind of always something that people had talked about. And it's kind of funny because <laughs> we are not eligible to be teacher of the year until you have three years of classroom experience, correct? It was, it was five. Oh, and then they changed it. Mm-hmm. This year it was, woo, they, woo, that, that change came in clutch this year. Yes, it sure did. Because so now it was three years. So it used to be five years. But fun fact, I was nominated since my second year of teaching. So my second, third, and fourth year, I was nominated. I was obviously disqualified the first two years because I didn't have five years of experience. And so finally, and it was funny because it was the same teacher that was nominating me. And I was like, (laughs) you need to stop putting my name in there. She's like, I just really think you should win. And I was like, okay, just because you think I should win, I just keep getting disqualified because I don't have years of experience. So finally, again, this year, and then I found out very nicely that it wasn't just her who nominated me, but it was several other teachers on campus who did as well. And so it went to the campus level and then it gets a vote. And then that's how I found out that I won. So that was pretty exciting. But, you know, after you go through campus teacher of the year, then you get to apply for district teacher of the year. And so they pick the top five teachers that won both. And so we have a secondary level and an elementary level. I was applying for the secondary level. Christopher was applying for the elementary level. And the first four runners up get $1,500. And then the fifth, the first place winner gets $5,000. And then they get to also apply for state teacher of the year. So we both put in our applications, all this fun stuff, wrote all the essays, did all the things. I unfortunately did not get it, which is totally fine. There are some very well-qualified teachers I was running up against. And so the top five from ours from secondary got picked and the top five from elementary got picked. And Christopher was (laughs) nominated. So now he can take over because I don't really, I mean, I know what happened, but I think he should tell the rest of the story. Well, they have the, the top five. And from there, you have another set of like interviews and questions and all sorts of things that you have to do from there. There's a panel they choose from the, the district. So this is no longer a vote. This is through a, a panel of individuals that select and. It was a fancy Zoom call later. I feel like it was towards the end of April. 
beginning of May, and we did our fancy Zoom call, and they announced that I had won the Elementary District Teacher of the Year in my school district, which was wildly just like, it's just one of those things was like, oh, Campus Teacher of the Year, great, cool, awesome, I've been working for that. But then to have it kind of continue on has been really, really awesome. And so right now, I'm in the middle of regional applications. You do regional and then state and then national. And so we'll see. You know, it's we're still mid-journey. We'll see what happens. And uh, I'll keep everyone posted. But yeah, it's been an incredible experience so far. And it's really nice to be recognized just for the work and all the nice things. And, you know, $5,000 doesn't hurt either. So I think I also mentioned in our check-in episode that I am debt-free. And it was because of that five, in addition to a lot of aggressive saving that I had been doing, prior to that in relation to like my own financial goals. So I was able to cut that goal literally in thirds. I think I was trying to be debt free within a year and a half, two years. And it actually only took me like five months. Granted, it wasn't, it was a lot of work. I still had to apply and write essays and interviews and teach for four years. And you had to do a video. Like, Mm -hmm. there were a lot of things involved. It was a very involved... It's not like the $5,000. It's just like, here you go, Chris. You're a great teacher. Which you are a great teacher. But it was also super involved in the things that you had to get done. Like, Mm -hmm. your interview was right before the Colorado trip for my birthday. I remember we were talking about that. I was like, oh, my God. Like, okay, you made it. Like, now you can't just, like, stop. You gotta you gotta win it. Like, yes, $1,500 would have been nice, but... $5,000 is a lot nicer. (laughs) Yeah, I am debt free because of it. Like I can't really say it's from anything else. Like I that helped a tremendous amount. And so, you know, I didn't get to do anything necessarily crazy with it. But it's kind of helping me do a little bit crazier things now because because you are debt free. Yeah, I don't have it hanging over me. And so being able to save more aggressively for other goals, it's really nice. And we'll kind of see what happens. The journey's still going. We'll see how that goes. That was a highlight, I think, for both of us this year. Like a pretty massive highlight for sure. And then finally, this is our fourth year teaching. You know, we entered the classroom at the same time through Teach for America and got master's degrees at the same time with Texas Wesleyan and then started pandemic teaching at the same time. So, you know, it's been quite a journey. And so kind of to wrap up our episode and move forward with this, just a discussion on on future plans, things that you're intending to do in the upcoming school year, which I know I just I will probably always think of things in annual years and school years like no matter what I'm doing I'll always know those two times so the upcoming school year what are some things that you have planned coming up happening also same thing I just wanted to echo that like all the planners I buy are not beginning of year planners they're academic planners because it doesn't make sense for me to have one planner that starts in January who does that because then I'd have to have two planners just for the school year anyway beside the point like Chris said, some future plans. So here's the big announcement. Drumroll, please. I am moving to Japan. Woo-hoo! I am still going to be in the classroom, which is kind of interesting because as Chris was like saying it, I didn't, I mean, I'd always known because we started school at the same time. So obviously, like we started teaching, but our journeys have really mirrored each other. And this is the first time that we are going to be not mirroring each other. 
you know, Christopher and I, when we first started at Texas Wesleyan to get our certification and then continue on to get our master's, it was always like end goal to be like, yeah, we're going to be principals and like, yeah, and then you're going to be a superintendent and I'm just going to figure out my life. (laughs) And that's never been my goal to be a superintendent. So, you know, one day when Chris is a superintendent, you know, that'll be the day. But afterward, you know, I was thinking about law school and all these different things. The opportunity came up to teach in Japan for the next two years. So I decided to jump on it. You know, I ain't got no kids right now. I got no husband. I thought, what better time than right now? And everything had fallen into place so perfectly. Just some background, like I thought my school was going to shut down where I currently am. So I was already kind of in the market for a new job. There were talks that they were going to shut down the program and they were going to do this, do that. And I was like, I am not about that life. Let me look for other opportunities. And this one just so happened to happen. Uh, shout out to at Reads with Rosa. I was on her podcast and Rosa set me up and she was like, you should apply to work at my school. And I was like, okay, thinking it was a really long shot that I wasn't going to get it. I was like, I'm just going to apply. Like Japan would be cool. I've heard, you know, all these different things about teaching at international campuses. And I thought it would be super competitive to get in. So I was like, man, there's like no chance. Like, I've been teaching at the same school for this many years. Like I teach a super special population. Like I'm not going to even be competitive enough. And when they offered me the contract, I was like, oh God, I was like, okay, this is it. And I was planning on staying in the classroom for just one more year. But I was like, you know what? I can extend out for two more years for this opportunity of a lifetime, learn some new things. Who knows? Maybe I'll fall in love with teaching all over again. Like I've already been and stay in the classroom. I don't know. Who knows anymore at this point? Yeah. So this upcoming school year and the next school year after that, I will be in Japan. Do not worry, everyone. The tea with crema will still continue. (laughs) It'll just be on very opposite time zones. But yeah, so I'm super excited. And Chris has some pretty exciting news too. What are your future plans? Well, I will be moving into a data analyst position at my campus. So I'm super excited for that because I think that the skills and the that role really speaks to a lot of things that I am really passionate about, things that I really enjoy doing. So, you know, as someone who's super organized, who loves looking at data and trying to find the patterns and the steps to take, I think it feels like a really, really natural transition. And I'm really excited for that. And I think something that makes it even better is being able to still work with the population that I've gotten so close to over these past four years. And so I would imagine, again, have not done it yet. I'd imagine leaving a a campus is really hard for anyone who's like really taken the time to get to know their families and their coworkers. And so it's nice to not necessarily have to make that transition yet, but also still feel as though I'm able to progress in my role and in my professional abilities. And so I'm super excited to, to continue and take that step into my own education journey. So yes, my my end goal at this time is still the same. I still plan on being a, a superintendent in the future. And one amazing thing that I have been able to learn recently is that that position has a million ways to get to it. And there isn't a 
the one pathway that I used to think of, oh, you teach, and then you're a coach, and then you're an assistant principal, and then a principal, and then you work downtown for a while, and then boom, you're a superintendent. It's actually very, very flexible, and I'm excited for this to be my next step. And while I'll be doing this, I'll just continue to learn about those different pathways and how to continue to merge my passions with my careers and boom, achieve that ultimate goal. So four years later, Emma and I are out of our original classrooms, but we have not left education. So (laughs) still in education. So long, farewell classroom. Current classroom. I was like, I mean, you still teach it. I'm still in a classroom. In a whole different different, country. (laughs) In a whole different country. And if you have any questions, do I speak the language? No. We can wing it. It's fine. Maybe that'll be an episode. We try conversational Japanese. (laughs) (laughs) And I will just take my microphone out into the world and try to have basic conversations in Japanese and these Japanese people are just going to look at me like I'm crazy. And you know what? It's fine. It's okay. (laughs) That's how you learn. You know, you have people look at you funny and you're like, okay, that did not work. Let me try a different way. (laughs) So now it's time for our rapid fire questions. I'm going to give up. I'm not looking for that sound anymore. We're just going to make it. I'm just going to record myself so that we I can stop saying it, because I think it sounds different every time. But that's okay. Really take some, like, classes to make sure you're, like, making it, it's fully enunciated, and <laughs> like, boom. And then you're the sound people are using for that I sound. I am the sound. Yes. It'd be like that. So, do you have your question? My question's ready to go. I'm My good. My question's ready good? to go? Okay, I guess I'm going first. I don't know how oh, that okay. <laughs> I go first. My question for today is, if you could time travel... Would you travel back in time to meet your ancestors, or would you travel to the future to meet your descendants? Well, considering I don't plan on having children at this point in my life, I'm still going to travel to the future. I just want to see what happens. I am really curious. Do you get to choose, like, how far in the future? Sure. Great. I think I would still travel, like, a thousand years in the future. Just to see. That's crazy. People have some really, like, dark predictions, so I'm like, hmm, a thousand years is, like... Hmm. Let's see who was right. <laughs> a, thousand, a thousand years. It's going to be like, okay, also we're going to do an episode on the show, one, The 100. If anyone else watches it and would like to be on it, please let us know. Because I love that show. Chris got me onto it. But a thousand years from now, that's that's a long time. Which is like crazy because your name, unless your genealogy, you know, someone is keeping your genealogy now. Like you're going to be gone. Like You're going to be a descendant by that point, like an ancestor. Like you'll be a full blown ancestor a thousand years in the future. Mm-hmm. I think I would, when I first read the question, I was like, oh, back in time for sure. Because there's a lot of questions that I have just genealogically. And like the fact that I didn't really get to grow up with my dad's side of the family, my dad's parents things like that. But I'm also just very interested in both sides of the family, like our journey over, like the immigration story and things like that, I think are super interesting. So I guess if I could go back, I'd go back as far as our entry point into the US from the Japanese side, because I know my dad's like immigration story. He was the first one here. I think that that would be interesting. But now that you like brought up descendants, now I kind of want to go to the future. Could you imagine, like, you show up a thousand years from now, and it's just like, well, that was human history. It's done. Thanks for There's stopping by. There's nothing left. They have all transcended. 
Y'all tried really hard, but it wasn't it, so... It was not it. There was no one to save us. But you know what? It's a cycle of life, is it not? You know? You never know. This could be like the Jonas Brothers song, where oh, everyone I lives underwater. <laughs> biggest Joe... I'm the biggest Joe girl fan, honestly. And it's funny because someone did the mathematical analysis of them going to the year 3000, and they're like... Oh, they're like, and your great 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 granddaughter is doing fine, and they're like, your great 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 granddaughter, just like speaking age wise, yeah. literally, they're like, would probably be only two hundred years later. <laughs> they're like, so in the year three thousand, unless your great 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 granddaughter all of a sudden is living nine hundred years, and then they're like, this song had gone multi platinum. Everybody bought our seventh album. They're like, so you only put out seven albums in a thousand years? Like, <laughs> they were just like, they had all of this math logic that just got flushed down the toilet and i was like leave the jonas brothers alone let them live they were trying <laughs> they're singing a song okay y'all overthought this you know they couldn't have said and your great 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 granddaughter that sounded cool no one wants to listen to 30 seconds of great man this is weird also she probably wouldn't even look at like you anymore like there's so many descendants you are no longer you are just like a line like that is all so that's why people are like i can just like i can go back all the way back to like bc and i'm like wow that's crazy must be nice (laughs) must be nice i can go back like three generations max maybe four okay so what is your rapid fire question today so my rapid fire question comes from the world wide web it's a question that a lot of people were talking about on Twitter recently, and it is, is $250,000 a life-changing sum of money? Is that a real question? Yes, it is. That's the question. People have been very aggressively like, no, it's not. Okay, yes, a quarter of a million dollars. I think, uh, I mean, life-changing to somebody who makes like $100,000 or who makes that much money in a year, obviously, no, that's like another salary. But for people who are working class people, and even you and I are not in the working class, like very much so middle, we are definitely middle class people. Like for a middle class person such as myself, $250,000, the things I could do with that in Texas is mind blowing. I don't know the salary level at which point $250,000 is not a significant amount. Exactly. Like, that's 250000 Like, that's... So, like, are you what? saying that... Like, like, what I'm thinking is, like, okay, even if you're making $250,000 a year, or however much money you're making a year, like a million dollars, like, whatever, you're a CEO, are you just going to deny $250,000? Like, that's the thing. Is that not what you need to, like, take maybe your startup to the next level or to buy that, like, getting your house flipping business going? Like, that $250,000 still feels like it's life-altering up to, like, a pretty high level. So, I don't know how much money the people in the comments were making because some people were definitely like, nah, that's not even enough to buy a house. I'm just like... Also, the Twitter is, like, the Twitter brings out humans that I'm just, like, I question their logic all the time. And I'm just like, there are people out there who are just dumb. (laughs) <laughs> that's yeah. the nicest way to put it just dumb people Two hundred fifty thousand. okay and you know what i guess that's the thing money is subjective is that the word you know yeah. like however much money you think but mm-hmm. i don't know so are you to say that like to deny it, it would not be something that's life-changing i think that's where i'm at like okay you have two hundred fifty thousand dollars. you can't buy a house but that's a nice down payment <laughs> I was like, why can't you buy a house? Like, that would almost double the amount of house that, like, I could afford as an individual. You know what I mean? So, exactly. like, 
I'm like, man, I just bought, bought like double the house almost. That's crazy. Uh, people are dumb. I need to go look at that thread because I don't not here for it. Two hundred fifty thousand? Are you kidding me? One hundred percent. Because okay, here's the thing too. That's crazy. The amount of student debt some people are in is upwards of that amount. So to tell me that two hundred fifty thousand dollars would not be enough, and then you could essentially erase all of your student loan debt. Like, there's a reason why so many of our generation still live with their parents, you know, and are still paying off these, like, terrible loans. Like, that's the one, remember, I told you the question that was like, is $100,000 enough to live off of in a year? Again, depends on where you live. Texas, yes. Definitely. I do it every year. (laughs) Facts. So, anyway, now that I'm heated. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Emma, where can people find the podcast? You can find us on Instagram and Twitter, which we are also on the Twitter, at the Tea with Crema. If you'd like to support our work or possibly just buy us a cup of tea and not some lukewarm apple juice and orange juice, you can also support us at Venmo at the Tea with Crema. You can also find us on all podcast uh, platforms such as Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere that you stream your podcasts. We'll see you next time. Bye!